Welcome to another episode of Living Your Sparked Second Half. And if you are listening to this and then you move on to listen to the episode, you'll notice my voice is a little different. That's because I was sick when I recorded that, but I feel so much better and I am back to the land of the living. I have had the worst cold ever. My husband said his friend was telling him that it's called the 100 day cold. (laughs) This is actually three weeks and one day, and I'm still blowing my nose a little bit. But anywho, today I have a great interview for you with Anne Richardson. Anne is 81. Spunky. She's an American living abroad in Great Britain. She met her husband. Uh, You'll hear the story. It's a great story. Still in love after 60 years. He sounds like he's a wonderful man to be married to, a wonderful partner, very supportive of her, her whole life. It's great to have people around you like that. What I wanted her on the podcast to talk about was assumptions because she had made a couple of assumptions, wrong assumptions, and I think assumptions often are wrong. That's what they say, right? You probably heard the phrase that when you assume you make an ass out of you and me, because you often jump to conclusions. That's what an assumption is. It's based on facts that you think are facts, but aren't really facts. They're facts based on only your little window and perspective of those moments. And often it's an interaction. And sometimes these assumptions are because of strangers, because you don't know strangers. But I think that's the main mistake a lot of us make is that we make assumptions about the people we know, but we don't even know the whole story. But we think we do because we know them. And so assumptions are something that we need to be aware of. We need to be aware of when we're jumping to conclusions and we shouldn't do that because that is judgmental. We're judging something and interpreting a situation and more than likely is incorrect. So she wrote this article I read and sharing a couple of incidences that she had had in the previous week where she made assumptions. And she was very vulnerable in the article, which I loved, because I think that's what really resonates. When you share what you did and you're reflecting on it, But that lesson, as you're learning it and you share it, it can help other people. So I wanted to talk about this article she wrote and assumptions, just have that conversation. But the conversation led to so much more. I mean, an 81-year-old grandma who stands on her head, she wrote a book, The Grandma Who Stands on Her Head, which are her reflections. You can learn so much from somebody who's lived such a full life. And I wanted to hear her perspectives. We talked about many things. We talked about how you get confidence. We talked about what is luck? Are people lucky or unlucky? We talked about, I had to pick up my dog. It's barking. So now he's in my laugh if you're on my YouTube channel. We talked about authenticity. She is super authentic. And we talked about why is it that we wait till late in life to become our most authentic selves? A wonderful conversation. It just sped by and I loved every minute. 
So without further ado, let me introduce you to Anne Richardson. Today, my guest is Anne Richardson. We've been chatting for a bit, meeting each other. Welcome to the program, Anne. Thank you. Yes, Anne is 81, and she was not shy about her age. She is very proud of her age, which I love, and also her height. She said she's short. <laughs> Usually people, when they say they're self well, you didn't even say you're self-conscious. You just said you don't care. It doesn't bother you at all about your height. And I immediately went to tall. I can't see yeah. you because I can only yeah. see you from the neck up. Yeah. So Anne is talking to me from across the sea. She is in London and she is American born. So she's going to tell you about that story. But I met Anne because she wrote an article that I loved. I thought it was a great article and we'll talk about that. But it was an article about assumptions. And so I think that's something that everybody should hear about and what happened to you. When I read that, I thought about assumptions I've made in my life. That's a great topic. And that's why I reached out to her and wanted to have a conversation. So here we are. And I also believe Anne can inspire because she is living life and excited and happy and engaged. And that's where we all want to be as we get older. So yes, Anne, I'm so excited to talk to you. So share a little bit about you and who you are. What do you want to say? Yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> I am born in America. I just think that's relevant. And you can probably hear my American accent because you don't lose it no matter how long you live away from America. I've lived in England since 1968 because I married an Englishman. He was doing a PhD over in America for a while. And then we came back to England where I'd met him in England. And I've lived here ever since. So my children are English just out of completely irrelevant fact. My son married an American. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, we shared before I hit record that she met her husband when she was abroad. Was that college, junior year of college? Yeah, it was my yeah. junior year abroad. Yeah, my and my daughter year. did that. She went over there and did that, but she didn't meet anybody while she was there. Thank goodness, because she lives here. Well, I think my parents had mixed feelings about it, but th yeah. they didn't like the fact I was marrying a foreigner. They thought that marriage is difficult enough, and if you marry a foreigner, that's even harder. But I don't actually think that was true in our case, but I mean... Whatever yeah. problem we had, it wasn't to do with that. Anyway, I live Well, you're here. still married, I, 60 years. I'm still married. I've been married 60 years. Yeah. In 60 years, you get a card from the king and queen. Oh, my it goodness. That you got flowers, but they stopped that fairly recently, last couple of years or so. We, we only get a card with a picture of the king and queen on it. Well, that's amazing. So Congratulations. My, you don't I'm get that in America. <laughs> Anyway, my daughter now has that card. I spend my life doing social research, such research on issues to do with health care or social care, often to do with the patient's point of view. What do they feel about their cancer care? It's not to do with the medication side of it. It's to do with the care that they got or their experiences of it. But I did lots of other things, and I went freelance from being working in a salaried uh, institute. I went freelance in my mid forties, which gave me a lot of freedom. And I got asked to do a lot of different things. And that was a lot of fun. And I still get a lot of pleasure out of life. And that's yeah. enough to start. Yeah. You asked for a quick one. That's great. Yeah. Well, what is clear is that you are 
giving value to the world and you feel valued. Yes, I, I like to think I'm giving value to the world. I don't hear it too often. So it's nice to hear. Yeah, but your contributions, your articles that you write, I mean, you wouldn't have met me if you hadn't put that out in the world. And I can just tell that you feel, and I think that's a very important part of aging, the aging process. I think what happens to a lot of women, especially when their kids leave, is that that's where they got their value from, is being a mom. And then- yeah they are searching for new value and maybe the work you loved your work. So you got value from your work, but I think a lot of people are misplaced in the work they do and they don't get the value. And so it's kind of just a paycheck they're collecting. So where do they find that value? And that I think gives us vitality as we age. I was talking to a friend who's writing a book that's about to come out. I won't make a big fuss about that, but it's about finding your passion finding out what it is that really makes you want to get up in the morning. And I sort of looked at him and thought, is that difficult? Because I've always known why I wanted to get up in the morning. First, it was my kids or my work, and now it's my grandkids. So they're, they're definitely worth getting up in the morning for. I may say they're now teenagers, which is hard to believe. So yes, it is to do with having something that you find intrinsically interesting. And I do guess some people do find it hard to know what they find intrinsically interesting. Yeah, you said when when we were talking that you speak up, you're very direct. I feel like you're very authentic. You've always been who you are. You don't hide and you don't try to be somebody else. And a lot of people, unfortunately, and the statistic is 70% are trying to be somebody they're not to please or to fit in. And they feel that they can't be who they are because they'll be judged or they'll be rejected so you are you know unusual. But you know why I do it? I don't know how to do anything else. Yes. Amen. You must have had great parents who just let you be you. I don't know. I just don't know how to hide. And in England, nobody says what they mean. English people are famous for saying what they feel they ought to say or putting things very gently. They can insult you, but put it so gently you don't actually realize you are being insulted. They are really very clever with subtle language. And I just say it like it is. I heard a friend describe me once and she said, you know, Anne, she actually says what she means. <laughs> and I thought that's a strange thing. Of course I say what I mean. But anyway, that's not common here. So, well, that's interesting yes, about the culture. I know how to be. Yeah. If anybody says anything to me with an English accent, I like it. <laughs> so I yeah. just love that accent. <laughs> All right. So you're 81 and you wrote this article recently about assumptions. Yeah. And I just thought it's definitely worth a conversation with you because we have these facts. We look at something and we see something and we hear something and it goes through our filter and they become our facts. They become our belief, you know, even if it's like a stranger that we saw and in your case, it was in these two instances. And unfortunately, most of the time, we don't get our facts straight. We just walk away and we move on. And it's with people we love and people we know too. It's in the workplace. We make these assumptions. We have no idea of the history, the background. We have our filter on. And so I would love for you to share these two stories. And if you're listening and you tend to make assumptions a lot 
I would love for you to pay attention and think about something in the past week, perhaps, that you made an assumption about. And it could t totally be the wrong, well, what I like to say it's your fake news in your head, but you think it's real, but you think it's real. So share those. Yeah. I think it happens all the time. I wrote an article about two of them just because they were very recent. One was I was in the tube, that's what you call the subway, going downtown. There were these people talking very loudly, and that's very annoying. It's also very un-English to talk loudly. People talk very quietly to each other. But these people were shouting, and I thought it was sort of annoying because I was trying to think my own thoughts, and I couldn't think because they were shouting. And it so happened they got off at the same stop as I did, and they came up the elevator at the same time as I did. We say lift, but anyway, I turned to this woman who was shouting and I said, why are you shouting so much? And it was supposed to be slightly showing my annoyance, but also just asking the question. I was hoping moderately nicely because I have a sort of nice face and I figured don't, people don't get insulted immediately, though people do get insulted by me. And she said, oh, my son has learning difficulties and we found if we shout, it helps him to speak better. And she immediately shouted down to him to speak quieter. And I felt very sort of, it made me reflect that I had suddenly made an assumption they were just loud people being annoying and mm -hmm. they actually were trying to cope with something much more difficult than I've ever had to cope with. A son with learning difficulties is a, an enormous problem. So that was the first one. Yeah. And I want to make a couple comments here because first of all, you're direct, yes. your directness, as you said, you say what you think. Sometimes, because I'm direct too, it can get us in a little trouble, but it sounded like you did it with a little bit of softness, at least in your eyes. The second thing is that I love that you made it a question instead of a yeah. comment, because some people could have said, would you please keep your voice down and not even questioned why? And so you at least gave her the opportunity to explain. Most people would have been on their merry way with the continued fake news that that's an annoying woman and, and child. And if you saw him again, you'd probably, oh, there's that annoying woman and child. Well, I'm not someone to tell off complete strangers. It just somehow seems wrong. So that's what I did. Yeah. Now the second one, if shall I go on to the second one, sure. is, is in my opinion, much more interesting. It's a silly thing. I had a problem with my phone. I had a new mobile phone and I couldn't get it to work. And there's a very nice man who works in my print shop, who I know very well. We've known each other. I know since he's moved into the neighborhood and he's done all my printing, which is a lot over the years. So he always helps me. So I went to him and I said, could you help me with my phone? But like me, he's getting on in years. And so he said, I can't do it. Actually, my colleague here, who is a lot younger, will be able to do it for you if you just wait a minute. So I thought that's fair enough. He was very polite. And I decided to wait. And there was this woman customer who was a total pain. She didn't know what she wanted. She kept changing her mind. She seemed a bit ditzy. She was saying, I want five of this. No, no, I want 10 of that. No, I want 20 of this. And, and it was all over the place. And I thought, what a pain. And I just thought she was, I don't know what I quite thought, but she was very, very annoying. And after a while, I decided it was going to take too long. So I made my excuses and left and actually got someone else to help me with my mobile phone, which was a small thing, really. And later, because I thought I might have looked impolite, and this is an old friend, the guy who runs the print shop, I sort of know him almost as a friend, my neighborhood shops, I know. And I phoned him and I said, I'm terribly sorry. I hope I didn't seem impolite to leave, but I actually had an appointment. I was actually going to give a talk about my book, so I had to get out of there. And he said, oh, no, he said, you did fine. He said... I couldn't tell you then, but the woman who was having so much trouble 
was an Israeli woman who happened to be visiting London as a tourist, and she had just learned that her entire family had been wiped out by a bomb. This was in early October. It was after the events in Israel, but it was some maybe oh, so recent, after. yeah, very recent. And she just couldn't decide what she was trying to sort out the death notices for her family. And I immediately felt, oh, my God, I couldn't possibly be as lucid as she was in those circumstances. She was actually trying her best to create death notices for a family when she's lost her whole family. It did make me stop and think, why was I thinking she was such a ditz and so annoying? And it just is another example. I never saw her again. But how much we do make assumptions about what people are like. Yeah. And on reflection, how would you knowing what you know, and we make assumptions, how would you have thought differently maybe in those situations? Well, had I known that was her circumstance, I think I probably would have left immediately and not waited to have my phone fixed, which was an extremely minor issue, having a mobile phone fix next to having something like five or six members of her family killed. I mean, that's just, so yes, you just have to Maybe if you give people the benefit of the doubt, it's a good idea in general, from general experience, that there's often a good reason why people are annoying. Maybe they just had an argument with their husband that morning, maybe something more than that. And it would be a good idea to mm-hmm. give yeah. people the benefit of the doubt is yeah. a general rule, I would say. Yeah, I think our tendency as humans who are dealing with our own issues and stress, you know, a lot of us are under stress. I think our tendency is to look at things with a critical eye to mm-hmm. with with more judgment whereas coming from a you know lived a lot of life of judgment in the past and now I'm aware of how I can be judgmental and so I try to catch myself like well, what are you thinking why are you doing that so try to be more of a, an observer of my thoughts but we all fall into that but if we could just be more loving I think the whole world culture that's going on with hate and violence that's what we're exposed to and especially if you watch the news a lot you're going to be highly critical of people you're going to be highly apprehensive you're going to be thinking the worst so i think if we could just remember to come from a loving place and know that everybody's doing their best everybody's trying and everybody has their own baggage they're carrying around that's invisible to us. I think we'd I be a lot happier. Mm, I yeah. Agree with you. I didn't ask you and won't ask you how old you are, but we come from a time when things were more civilized. I grew up, I was born in the war. And so people post-war when I was first growing up, were just glad to be alive and, mm, and yeah. coping with, with fairly difficult times. Uh, my husband grew up during rationing and didn't mm-hmm. have much to, to eat after the war. So it's a different time than now. And it, hating anybody was really a bit of a luxury, I suspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was born in 59. So I was just made the 50s. But yeah, so I'm getting ready to turn 65 in That's less than a month. Age. So what can you share about the lessons you've learned in life? What have you learned in your 81 years that you can share, and this is a question I love to ask, is what would you tell your younger self? Lessons in general are too broad a question, but what I would tell my younger self, most importantly, is to have confidence in myself. Mm. I don't know why it takes us till we're 65 or around then to believe in ourselves. 
it seems to be very common. I say it over and over and talk to lots of people and they all say, yeah, I just, I'm beginning to believe I'm, I'm okay, you know? And I go, why? Why does it take us that long? We were just as good when we were 45, but we don't believe it. So my interest is in, in getting to people to trust themselves, to believe in themselves. I suppose there's some people that probably shouldn't believe in themselves, but we won't go there right now. But I certainly wish I had believed in myself. I think I would have been even stronger, even more able to do more, I think. And how do you get belief in yourself, though? I think when we get older, we're just like, fuck it. <laughs> you know, we just yeah. like get there and we're like, I got the wrinkles. I got the weight. Yeah, I, I just got to accept it or else, you know? And so we're, we're just like more loving to ourselves, And then we see our friends and they're the same. And, you know, we all support each other. So what gets confidence? Well, I think knowing that you've done a certain amount of things and they've worked out reasonably well helps a great deal. Yes. I happen to have one of the most loving husbands ever. And, and I think that helps a great deal. He says things to me like, you're prettier than you used to be, you know, just Aww. silly things like that. He loves the fact when I have success, he's always incredibly proud of me when I do anything that achieves something, which is not huge things. When so that, is that to me is find people who believe in you Yes. before yes. you believe in yourself. Yes, it certainly helps because I live with him every day and I see him every day and he's just always complimenting me, probably more than vice versa. But anyway, he is. That's his manner. What a great chap. Yeah, no, it's great. It's very nice. And he didn't used to, but now he does a lot of things in the house much more than he used to. So he actually makes my lunch and all that kind of thing. But nice. um, it, So that's great. But also I know that I've written books and people have liked them. You said you read my blog and you liked it. Mm -hmm. Every time that happens, puts a little something onto yourself that makes you feel good with yourself. Yeah. And then more often that happens and you know it doesn't happen much in your 20s because you don't do much that anybody thinks is great unless you're just very pretty and you get wrapped up in how you look but but even that they don't have confidence deep down no i know i know yeah. that's true the one of my daughters was always like people would look at her because she's very beautiful and they, they told her that a lot and she got to the point where she hated it because she said People don't see me. That That's all they see is this. She's a very deep and very intelligent and mm -hmm. people w don't look for that and they don't try to go deep. So no. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Looks don't give you confidence, but the people who don't have looks think they need that <laughs> to get confidence. <laughs> yeah, I think it's doing things and seeing yourself coping in a lot of different circumstances, seeing yourself cope with things that you didn't think like just even I don't sleep well. And when you once discover that you can cope and get through the day and actually be moderately lucid on four and a half hours sleep, then the next time you get four and a half hours sleep, you're not worried about it because you know you can do it. So each time you do something that you learn, you know, you can do the more it helps. Yeah. And Take action that gets some results. And I like to say, just make progress because making progress is results and not taking action. And I think a lot of people don't take action these days because there's so many other things to do to occupy their brain, like watch yeah. TV and get yeah. on social media. Mm -hmm. and I do think once you just do things and I do have a tendency to jump in and see what happens. And sometimes bad things happen, but generally good things happen. You just but you still know. learn. And you learn, exactly. And you gain from the learning and you meet some nice people or not, as the case may be. But 
each thing is learning and developing. And with my blogs, I may say it's another blog. Whatever happens that goes wrong, I can write a blog about it. I actually constantly reflecting. I'm a very reflective person anyway, but I'm constantly reflecting on what's going on around me. It's not that I'm wanting to write a blog because I'm reflective, but it's just I like writing and I can think mm. about it and then I learn something and I move on. So I did that with the assumptions blog was just, you know, I thought, well, I've goofed up twice here in a week. But well, I and I think that article also was vulnerable. Yes. And when writers come from that vulnerable place, it's so relatable. Mm. It's like, oh, my gosh. And a lot of mentors are like this, where they teach from what they've learned. And mm. when they speak from the place where they are, it's hard to relate. But when they speak from the place where they came from, it's like, yes. oh, my God, I, I so get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we haven't yeah. talked about your book. I'm so sorry that I haven't mentioned your book. I, I love the title of your book. The Granny Who Stands on Her Head. I've written a lot of books. I'd make sure which one we're talking about. Oh, well, I want to read that book. What did she stand on her head? Do you really stand on your head? I do really stand on my head. I really do. And there's a video of me doing so in a number of places. It's actually, if you put The Granny Who Stands on Her Head into YouTube and put my name, Ann Richardson, I think it comes up automatically. I didn't put it on YouTube. I have no idea who put it on YouTube. Oh, how funny. Um, I did it for fun to advertise my book, which... I had a number of titles for this book, which is supposed to be about what I've learned being older. It's called Reflections on Growing Older in the subtitle. But I thought that's such a catchy title. And once you've heard it, you won't forget it, that I just couldn't resist putting it as the title of my book. But yes, I do yoga. I've been doing yoga for 30 years. And once a week, I do my yoga class and I stand on my head. And I love standing on my head. It feels The world feels very good upside down somehow. How long um, do you do I, it for? Four minutes, three, four minutes. Used to do five. I'm not sure I do still. I think it's not as good as you get older. I think you should be a little bit more careful when you get mm. older. So I get nervous. I could stay up there longer than I do, but I think I don't want to do my neck any harm. So uh, you started, and I think this is an important tidbit. If I'm doing the math correctly, you started yoga when you were in your fifties. Yes. At fifty, what yes. prompted you to do that? I had a lot of back trouble and I was going to a woman who get, gave me back physiotherapy and I said, but it helps for a while and then it doesn't last. She said, what you really need is to do work that makes you stronger. So I, she said, try yoga. So I went and tried a number of my friends had been pushing me to do yoga anyway. So I went to yoga and it did help my back and I never went back to physiotherapy. So she talked to herself out of a job as far as I was concerned, but it does strengthen you. And I am very strong. I, and you I'm don't need any peripheral like weights or you don't have to spend money really on anything, but a mat. That's right? true. I never thought about it like that, but I do think what I feel that at my age, I'm not likely to fall. Or if I do fall, I will fall carefully. I've twice fallen in the last three years and both times I had almost no damage to me. And I think that oh. it must be to do with my yoga. I don't know, but I you just, bounced. Yeah, and, and you fall somehow easily. Well, you're, you're short, so you fall closer to the ground. <laughs> you're strong everywhere. Yoga strengthens yeah. you everywhere. I mean, my back is strong. My neck is strong. My legs are strong. Well, you are clearly know. stayed consistent at it. Yeah. And a lot of people yeah. do something to get better, and then they fall off the wagon. Yeah. So that's great that you've done that and made the time yeah. for it. But yeah. it makes sense now that you're 81 and you're healthy and vital and that you have... Uh, I mean I have practice. been doing very good health, I think. I'm just very lucky with my good health, and I'm reluctant to say so in case something mm -hmm. hits tomorrow. I, I know. Once. I wrote Don't a blog jinx it. called That Block of 
concrete in the sky. And I had just said to a friend that I feel once you're over 60, 65, 70, anyway, there's a block of concrete following you around over your head and likely to fall at some point and hit you. I mean, it's that, that feeling that anything could happen anytime. I just yeah. call it that block of concrete in the sky. Yeah. And, and, and if you think that, how, how do you live your life differently? You can't. You just know it's going to happen. And actually, about two months after I told that, my husband had a stroke. Mm. And that was very, very scary. In fact, he was not a bad stroke, and he's recovered completely from it. So he's fine. But it was very scary when I knew he was in I hospital bet. with a stroke. I bet. Because we were very close, and I didn't, want, yeah. I didn't want to be the carer of somebody who was really lo lost to us, you know, which yeah. can happen. You don't so, want to lose your biggest cheerleader. That would be yes. so sad. <laughs> but, yeah, when you said that, think about was – I guess if you think that you're walking around with a concrete block over your head, it makes you want to live life a little richer. Yes. While you're here. That. You know, it's like. Yeah, do it while you can. Do it yeah. while you can. Yeah. I mean, I talk to a lot of people about being old and I get a number of different responses. Very recently, I met a woman in the street and we got talking and she said she thought she knew me and I didn't know her. But anyway, I said, I write about being old. I said, why well, I like being old. She said, yeah. She said, you just don't care anymore. <laughs> you just don't care anymore. And I actually should have pressed her more because I want to write a blog about you just don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. But it's a nice phrase. It means you do what you want. You know, it doesn't matter. And you just get on with it. Like you, we talked about that already a bit, but there is that feeling. On the other hand, I talked to a woman and I wrote a blog called this, which was my future is behind me. All my future is behind me. This woman said, she was 65. I said, I'm 81 and I like it. She said, I'm 65 and I hate it. And I said, why? Because all my future is behind me. And the more I thought about that, the more I, I wrote this blog about how your future isn't behind me and how much has happened to me since I was 65. I did not have my two grandchildren when I was 65. And I didn't have, I hadn't written all the things I'd done. I haven't written the books. I've did several books I've written since I was 65. I haven't had all the wonderful bits of life that I've had, just living with my husband or going to movies or going for a walk and smelling the sunshine or whatever you want to talk about. So I was very sad, but it was interesting. And that blog actually is very well liked by people because it says something about what you can feel and what you shouldn't feel in a way. I've always wondered whether the woman who, who said that to me ever found it again. <laughs> She I might not her, be alive because if that's no, what your outlook. I think she was going to be alive, but she was just a bit sad. But she wasn't depressed. She didn't strike me as depressed. But hopefully she, she found a future. She was interested in my book, but she never tried to contact me again. Mm. But it's an interesting concept that my future is all behind me when you're It is. That's why I like the second half spark and the second yes. half is the best half. Because Better. I like to think the present moment is always the best part of your life. And so, so. people want to live in the past so. and they think all, all the happy times and the happy memories and those memories are great, but those memories create, it's that body of work. It's the book that's been written and you've always got a new book to write and new chapters to write and new chapters to live. So, and speaking of that, as we close, I want to ask you about your future. What are you looking forward to? <laughs> Well, that's a good question. I've had my husband not very well for some time in the sense that he had this stroke it was about two years ago and then he had terrible fatigue. So he was fine at home, but he couldn't go out. And now all of a sudden he's beginning to get better. We don't know why, but suddenly the fatigue is lifting. So I'm looking forward to maybe traveling a little bit with him, which we couldn't do. And that where do you nice. want to go? 
Where would be um, the first place? Oh, probably Italy. I'm a great lover Ooh, of Italy. I love Italy too. <laughs> Both places. Um, what part? We go to Paris a lot. We used to go to Paris a lot. So I would be going back to Paris. I have friends in Paris. I have friends in Venice. I have friends in Rome. I have a lot, oh. of, a lot of European friends. If you live here, they're very close. You That's know? awesome. That's People awesome. always say, do you want to go back to America? And I said, well, all my life, when my parents were alive, I went back to see my parents. But after that, if you have a choice of going to America or going to Italy or to France or to Greece or to Spain, I mean, to me, there's no choice. <laughs> well, yeah, you're so close. Just a hop, skip and a jump. Mostly a train ride away. Right. Three hours. Literally yeah. Door to door, three hours. It's nothing. Yeah. yeah. So if you had to, because I think I have a, travelers who are listeners. I know I like yeah. to travel. If you had to recommend one place in Italy to go, if they've never been to Italy, oh, where would gosh, that's I've not been to the Amalfi. I've been to the lowest I've gotten is Sorrento and went to Capri for the day, but I haven't been below that. Capri is gorgeous. That is a wonderful place to go, but it's very touristy. Is Quite an experience, yes. Um, Tuscany take your money. <laughs> Tuscany is absolutely gorgeous. The Italians are very friendly people, so you get a lot of friendliness from them, especially in the countryside. You go to Florence, there's some wonderful art and it's a beautiful city, but I think they're used to tourists as being a kind of annoyance and they're not really very friendly to tourists. So I don't recommend that. I happen to love Venice because Venice is like no other place in the world. It's an entire city without cars. You can walk and walk and walk and you never see a car. There are no cars. It is impossible for anyone to believe there is a city without cars and it is Venice. Yeah, everything that's, done that's by great. Boat. Yeah, yeah. The garbage is collected by boat. The ambulances come by boat. Everything is by boat. So I would recommend just to see that in your life because it's yeah. such an unusual place. Yeah. And I never knew this, but if you want to buy something while you're over there, and I have a beautiful vase painted with brilliant colors, glass. It's like a decanter yes. that I got in Venice. Yes. But glass um, and lace are the two things. Yes. That you're, yeah. A things person I really don't care about things <laughs> yeah I, well I like to when I go somewhere to bring a memento yes I can of a, a memory that. usually I get a Christmas ornament if they if I can find one just so <laughs> when I hang my Christmas tree yes. ornaments I always have that memory that's part of my experience of my tree that's yeah nice. yeah so that's I appreciate nice. you being here I appreciate you sharing your wisdom you are amazing I want to be like you when I grow up I'm not far behind, but it was funny. My my husband, we were having this conversation about growing old and the subject came up of 100. I don't know how, how that came up because I always say I expect to live to be 100 and I expect to live with vitality. I don't expect to be in an assisted living place. And again, you, you don't know what can happen to you, but if you take care of yourself and you do the things you love, you should be rewarded for that physically and mentally. You should be, but you can't yeah. count on it. And Look, so he said, he said, I don't want to live to be 100 because I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be an old and feeble person. And I said, well, who says you have to be old and feeble when you're 100? I'm not yeah. going to be that when I get to be 100. I am going to be because I, I do flips when I go to the trampoline park with my grandkids. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to be doing flips at the trampoline park when I'm 100. That's I what I told him. <laughs> I wish you so I do think luck is a very important quality in our lives that we don't appreciate enough. Luck in finding the right people in our lives, luck yes. in finding a job in your lives, and luck. And in genes your plays into it, I think, too. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But you didn't know which is luck, I have. think. 
Yeah. I mean, people say I do well because I work hard. But what gave you the ability to work hard? What gave you the urge to work hard? Something in you gave you that urge. It's not because you're brilliant and 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 deserving. It's because you had some ability to work hard. So whatever it is, it comes down to luck in the end, in my view. Mm. Well, I like to look at luck as in the universal sense. We earned it through, we chose to come here and live this life in this human state. And our luck is in a way brought because we chose it. We chose it. And we can choose to look at it as luck, but we can choose to look at it as, hey, it was a part of what I was meant to do and what I was meant to be here doing. And people, I feel like people who think they need luck end up becoming victims. So they end up saying, I'm unlucky. And then they use it as an excuse to not do the things that can enhance their life and enrich their life. Mm -hmm. That can be. And there's a famous saying, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And yeah. all of mm -hmm. But honest to God, there are people in this world who are unhealthy for no fault of their own. And I have some sympathy for them. Yes. You know, yeah. You have children born mm -hmm. with disabilities and it takes all your energy to look after those children for the rest of your life. And mm -hmm. that wasn't yeah. it just happened to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then it's funny because some people who are like that think they're lucky. So yes, it becomes the mindset thing. Like I, I know, know that parents of Down syndrome children are like, we can't imagine life without this oh, I person. Know it, I so, it, yeah, it is, it's interesting. We could have another podcast episode about this. <laughs> we should both do our research and get back well, on. <laughs> if you want to come back, I don't mind. I'm happy yeah. to talk for hours. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for your sharing openly. Thank you for being you. Thank, Thank you for being much. an example of what you can be by being you. Yeah, everybody's themselves. So I don't want them to think they want to be me. What I want to say is you can still be having a happy, fulfilled life at 81. And I hope 85 and I hope 89 and I hope 99. But you never know. But yeah. you shouldn't give up and you should keep finding things that keep you happy because there's no reason not to. There's no mm -hmm. reason to stop. Keep looking and believe that it's possible, right? Yes. Yes. And good health to your husband. And when I'm over in England, I'll look you up. Yeah, do that. Thank you so much. I'll take you to the club. <laughs> Bye.